0: I'm talking to my family just recently. Um, it's like, Well, what are we gonna do at Christmas? We have a, a new grandchild due in two weeks. Will we see the grandchild when it's born? And and so we we kind of I'm not gonna live in a place of, of not having hope and so we do make plans but you have to hold all those plans really, really lightly at the moment. You just you just don't know what's gonna happen. Um, you know, as part of um the leadership, I, I can tell you it's a real challenge because we have a meeting, we make a decision and oh goodness me, the government's come up with something else because of you know, I'm not blaming them, it's the same because of numbers going up, and then we have to have another meeting and we have to kind of think about it again and you know, what are we gonna do now? And um, I'm gathering uh, from you know what the government's been saying that you know we are likely not to be having another one of these meetings next week. The directors will be meeting this week, and we will be <laughs> letting you know you know what we're what we're thinking. But all of those plans have to be held really really lightly, and we can we we can respond to that in different ways. You know we can respond to that with anxiety. With disappointment, with fear, with, you know, all those kind of emotions. Or we can say, God, there must be some amazing opportunities coming because God is always good. And God is allowing this pandemic to continue at the moment. That's the truth. He is. Now, if he is allowing this pandemic to continue at the moment, then there is stuff for us to learn. There are ways for us to grow. There are ways for us to be blessed. There are ways for us to bless others, um, that we haven't even imagined until now because God doesn't change. God is good. His body doesn't change. You know, his people are still called to the, to show that love, to show love to God, to show love to other people and to, and to be that fragrance. I loved what Hugh said, you know, to be that fragrance, that aroma, you know, of Christ. And when we were singing, um, and, uh, you know, you shared your word as well, but when, when we were singing, and, and there was that, that phrase, um, uh, that, you know, we're waiting here for you. I mean, one of the things that I was going to say towards the end of my preach, but I'm going to say it now, is that actually, most of the time, it's him waiting for us not not us waiting for him because the truth is he is here he is here all the time he is with us all the time um and you know our focus isn't always on him but he is here and so um whatever this next month holds what i do know is that if we we look for it there are amazing opportunities there to bless and to be blessed and um you know we've been we've been talking about sort of a rising and shining um we've we've looked at Isaiah's um 60 and 61 we've been looking at that and if you remember the theme before arise and shine was um abide and rest and those two themes go together you cannot separate them because you will not arise and shine unless you've learned how to abide and rest and when you learn to abide and rest you will automatically start to rise and shine And um, I was, uh, I did the preach last Sunday, at least I think it was last Sunday, to be honest, things have been so crazy recently, it feels like about six weeks has gone by and you suddenly think, oh no, it's only a week. Um, I did preach last Sunday, didn't I? Morning, yeah, thank you Liz. Yeah, (laughs) phew. Um, And and when i when I, when I preach, um, I spend quite a bit of time um, preparing it i 'm not someone who 's very good at you know sort of coming up with something in a, in a couple of hours and you know, i 'm just not. I have to kind of think about it for a long time and I usually spend most most of the day then sort of you know writing it and whatever um, and so it speaks to me before it speaks to you because you know if I preach this this is coming from me hearing God in what i 'm looking at and so God being God, he's not going to let me preach on something that isn't going to hit me first, generally. Um, and so, you know, he is speaking to me. And one of the things that really has stayed with me um, since I preached um, last week and you know before that was how much we need to see with the eyes of faith right now. Um, I, I said last last week that you know when Isaiah was speaking to his people, he was speaking out of what he saw with his eyes of faith not what he saw in the kind of his kind of present reality. And we have to learn in this season more than ever before how to live from that place where we see with the eyes of faith. Because if we don't it's pretty miserable, isn't it? You know, you turn on the television or you read the newspaper or you're listening to radio or you're kind of talking to your neighbour or, in my case, my mum on Friday, who was feeling particularly gloomy, I think. Um, and, and actually, it is depressing. Because we see numbers going up, we kind of hear that the hospitals are getting full up. All of that stuff—it's it's it's across the world. When you know somebody comes on television and says, "Oh well, we won't be kind of done with this." You know, first of all, it's sort of the end of 2020. Then it's 21. Now it's 22. Whatever it is they're saying, but we have to be able to see with something else. We have to be able to see not in our kind of present reality, but we have to be able to see with those eyes of faith the same eyes of faith that Isaiah was able to look at his world and what was happening then and the difficulties for them and say, yes, but God. When we see God, when we see um, with eyes of faith, with open hearts to him, then we're going to um, interpret and we're going to read what goes on um, in this world and in our, our nation very, very differently. So that's got absolutely... We're, we're <laughs> I've gone way off already, so let's just see how we, we go. So... You know, Isaiah was talking about, um, you know, lots of things, uh, in, the, in Isaiah 61 in particular, which is, is a passage I love, and, you know, relates to Jesus, but also relates to us. And, you know, he was talking about the things that we do, proclaiming the good news, binding up the brokenhearted, proclaiming freedom and release from darkness, There is a lot of darkness out there, but we have the words of life. We have the ability to bring freedom to the captives and release from darkness for prisoners. But in order to do those things and in order to do the other things that the Bible tells us about, so like if we look at the New Testament, you know, what's the what's the most amazing thing the New Testament says is that we can do things like Jesus did and even greater things than Jesus did. That is an amazing statement. But in order to do those things, then we have to be able to see through those eyes of faith. We have to be able to use our eyes of faith. And, you know, I'm not talking about anything that I can do in my own strength and with my own talents and with my own abilities. Because if I can do something myself, then I don't need the eyes of faith, do I? And the problem is that very often, that's what we do. We do things out of our own abilities and our own talents. And we work really hard at it very often. But we're not seeing it from God's perspective. We're not seeing it through those eyes of faith. But I need God. I know that I need God to open my faith eyes, to open my heart, and to show me the things that I can't yet see. And um, there are lots and lots of examples in the Bible of people who had their eyes opened by faith to see the things that up until that point they hadn't been able to see so there's a story in Genesis 21 for example and that's the story of Hagar now if you remember that story Hagar was um, the servant of Sarah Abraham's wife and when Sarah thought that she wasn't going to be able to have any children she basically gave Hagar to Abraham and said here you go you can have a child with this woman here Um, Because, obviously, it was very important to them that that you kind of carried on the line and that there was a child. And and so that's exactly what happened. And Hagar gives birth to her son, who's called Ishmael. But when Ishmael was about 13 years old, in um, the fulfillment of a promise of God to Abraham, we all know the promise, don't we, that through him the nations of the world would be blessed and that he would have as many descendants as the stars in the sky – Sarah herself gave birth to um, her son um, and Isaac, and um, and then she found that Hagar was a threat. She felt that Hagar was a threat, and her son was a threat to. Um, Isaac's inheritance and so she wants Abraham to send Hagar and her son away and um, I don't know whether you'll be able to see the verses we'll see because um, they've had a few problems but we're going to pick up the story we are great pick up the story in verse 11 and it says this G- Genesis 21 11 to 19 the matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son that's Ishmael but God said to him Don't be distressed about the boy and your slave woman. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you, because it's through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. I will make the son of the slave into a nation also, because he is your offspring. Early the next morning, Abraham took some food and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar. He set them on her shoulders and then sent her off with the boy. She went on her way and wandered in the desert of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the boy under one of the bushes. Then she went off and sat down about a bowshot away, for she thought, I cannot watch the boy die. And as she sat there, she began to sob. God heard the boy crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what is the matter, Hagar? Don't be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up and take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. So she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. We need to know that God will meet our needs. And Romans 8.32 tells us that God meets the needs of his person. But you see, all Hagar could see was the lack She couldn't see the provision. All she could see was the lack. And it might be that you've been in that place or it might be that you're in that place right now that there is a lack and it's something that's concerning you, that it's giving you anxiety and it could be a lack in in, in many different things. But in in order to see past the lack, then we need God to open our eyes to see beyond the current reality because that's what happened for Hagar. As she's sitting there, her reality was the desert in front of her, a sun that she couldn't find a drink for, and nothing as far as she could see ahead but death. But God had already made provision for Hagar. She needed her eyes to be opened in order to see the well that was there. Now, I'm sure that, you know, you've heard this expression, you know, living from the inside out, you know, that that expression. And I was thinking about that the other day and thought, you know, that's what it means really, isn't it? It's living from what's inside and not from external realities. It's living from those eyes of faith within us. And as we do that, we live from the inside out rather than from what we see out there from that um, current present reality. God knew the provision was there for Hagar and so he opened her eyes and then she she could see it too. And you can read the rest of the story and, and see what happened um, to Ishmael. But God did, did indeed make him into a, a great nation. And then what about the story which is perhaps a bit better known? The story of Elisha and um, his servant in 2 Kings 6. I've got a feeling, um, Irene, you mentioned it, didn't you, in your preach? Yeah. Um, and so if you, if you look at that, that story, what was happening there? Well, you had the king of Aram, which is modern-day Syria. And um, he was at war with Israel. But it was pretty miffed because Elisha the prophet kept telling the king of Israel exactly where Aram's army was. So it must be pretty annoying when you kind of come up with all these plans and you think you're going to kind of take them by surprise. And lo and behold, they seem to know it before you even get there. And I don't know how the king of Aram knew that it was Elisha, but he did know that it was Elisha. And so he sent out some of his spies to find out where Elisha was. And he discovered that Elisha was in the city of Dothan with his servant. And so the king, who I think probably wasn't the sharpest tool in the box, because you'd think, wouldn't you, that if if, if he worked out that Elisha was telling the king of Israel where all the, the troops are, it might just be that Elisha would know what he was up to as well with regard to Elisha which in fact he did, but what he thought was he would send his troops to capture Elisha and his servant in the city of Dothan and then that would be the end of Elisha being able to warn the king of Israel what was going on. And I just want to take, pick up that story in verse 15. So this is 2 Kings 6 and verse 15. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. You see, in that situation, Elisha needed God's protection because um, he was a he was a man who lived from the inside out. But it didn't mean that he wasn't subject to what was going around round, on around him. But the thing about Elisha was, he knew he had God's protection because he lived from the inside out. Because his eyes of faith were open wide, he could see the protection that God had put there. His servant, however, couldn't. And so Elisha asked God to open his servant's eyes so that the servant could see the protection that up until that point he hadn't been able to see. Now, in the, you know, in this current sort of pandemic and with everything that's going on, I think one of the things that we often feel is that we need God's protection, don't we? So, you know, you're juggling all the time. What is, what should I do? What's sensible to do? Again, just going back to our situation with our son and his um, wife expecting their first baby, they've been a little bit nervous about being around, you know, too many people. And so, you know, we, we think about it, okay, should should we do that? And um, we're going to be seeing them um, next week. You know, what are we doing this week? Now, it's not making us fearful, but it it is just that, well, trying to work out what is sensible to do or not sensible to do, you know, making sure I've got my mask with me, All those all those things. But for some people, there is a real fear in this pandemic that there won't be protection there. People are afraid, particularly if um, you they have other um, health issues, there's been a fear of getting sick. There's been a fear of dying for some people. There's been a fear that people they love might get sick. Or might die so there's been this anxiety and this fear that goes around with with pandemic and that is the biggest enemy a bigger enemy than pandemic the fear and the anxiety that goes around people have been afraid of losing jobs and businesses but we have to ask ourselves when those fears arrive how much confidence do we have in God's ability to protect us you know, I, I learned that first time when I went into hospital to have my wrist done. I had no choice about that; I had to go in. Um, I'm sorry, I can't remember if I shared this before, but it was slightly nerve wracking because um, they had some. We were in our little ward, and they had some folk with COVID um, in the kind of side rooms opposite the six bedded ward that we were in, and it was very, very hot. So the nurses had put a fan, a floor fan, up, which was wafting all the air in from the direction of um, the. Uh, <laughs> The doors, which kept getting open with people going in, and I'm thinking, hmm. <laughs> and so I was having my operation the next day. They'd kept me in all day and couldn't, then couldn't do it because they ran out of time, so it was, it was put back to the next day. And I'm thinking, I have two choices here, really. I had a feeling saying something probably wasn't going to be that helpful. Um, and you don't really want more to be miffed with you when you're having the op the next day. And so I thought, well, okay, what can I do? So I, thought, well, I know what I can do. I can pray. For God's protection, and so it's like God. I have I can't do anything about this, but you knew I was going to be here, and you knew the other people that are going to be in this ward. So I pray that actually we'll be protected from um, any COVID coming wafting through that fan or whatever it was. Now, um, obviously, I don't know what happened to all the the rest of the women there, but I was in there for three days um, without any problems, and I do believe because I had a reassurance that God said, "You don't have to be afraid." You are completely safe here. God knows that we are going to need protection. God knows when we're going to need protection. And God has the ability to bring us protection. And we might not, you know, have a kind of hostile Syrian army to deal with. But I think most of us at some times have been in situations where we don't feel we have any control, like the one I was just talking about. And sometimes they can even be life-threatening situations and we feel that we don't have control. So we need to be able to see with those eyes of faith. We need to be able to see beyond that current reality to know that actually God does protect us. Isaiah 41 and 10 to 12 In fact, it might need to be 10, I think I put down here. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. Don't fear, I'm with you. Don't be scared. I am God, your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. And my righteous hand... Will help you and so whatever we face whatever the external reality god promises that he will protect us there's lots of other places in the bible where he says that he will strengthen us he will help us Uh, but in order to see past that fear we need him to open our eyes the truth is that god is all sufficient he is all sufficient in all circumstances and all situations and what that actually means is that he is all that we could ever need But we need to look through the eyes of faith to see it. So I'm going to just remind us of some of the reasons that we know God is all sufficient. And these are just, I think I've got about three or four reasons down there. There's lots, okay? I'm not going to go into all of them. But firstly, you know, God knows everything. So he knew about the king of Aram's plans for Elisha. He knows the thoughts, he knows the motives of every human heart. And there is nothing in all creation, the Bible says, that is hidden from him. And that means he already knows every difficulty and every challenge that we will ever face. And he has promised that he's going to be with us through every single one of them. And not only that, but he will work those things for our good. Now, you know, we sometimes have a a kind of a view of good that kind of isn't, isn't entirely the right one, you know, because God sees a much bigger picture than, than we do. But He has promised that He will be with us and that He is working all things for our good. God is all the wisdom we could ever need as well to make the right decisions. God is infinitely wise. His wisdom is perfect and he will give us the wisdom that we need when we ask him. You see, Elisha could have hidden himself and his servant away, couldn't he? Because if he knew they were coming, so, no, I really can't be doing with that today. Let's kind of wander down the road to, you know, whatever the next town is. And, and if he knows what um, King of Aram's doing, he doesn't have to hang around for him, but he did. So why did he hang around? Why didn't he go and hide? Well, he trusted God that God's solution to the problem, God's plan was better than anything that he could have come up with. And he knew that God knew the best way to deal with it. So what actually happened was that God gave him the wisdom he needed. Elisha strolls out very calmly. He asked God to strike Aram's army blind, which he does. And he then leads them to the capital city, 12 miles away, to the king of Israel. Well, when he gets there, he has God restore their sight. Then he tells the king of Israel, feed them and basically send them home. The result of that was that Israel was left in peace for some years. So God had a different plan, but it was better Then human wisdom would have said, go run high, go somewhere else. But God saw the big picture. And it's the same with what we go through. And it's the same with this current situation with the panic pandemic. It might not make much sense to us, but God sees the big picture. God knows the end of the story. He knows the plan. James um, 1.5 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. And it will be given to you. God promises us His wisdom when we need it. And sometimes you get stuck, don't you, between two de- a decision you've got to make. And you think, oh, there's this here and there's that there, and you pray about it, and you're thinking, oh, I don't know, I haven't, I'm not sure, I've been given clear guidance. Do you know what I do in that situation? I just make a decision, because when I make that decision, I trust God that I might not even know I've got the wisdom, but He knows, and so the decision I make will be the right one. And we've already said, really, God is able to protect us. We've talked about his protection for Elisha. And, you know, there's a a link between another story of protection in the Bible and that one, Elisha. And and, um, it's the town Dotham. You remember that that was where Elisha and his um, servant were hiding. Well, it was also that same Dotham where Joseph was sent by his dad. Well, he he sent Joseph off to find his brothers and to see if they were doing okay at the beginning of the story of Joseph. And actually Joseph finds them in Dotham. So that's the same Dothan where his brothers chucked him in a pit. Same Dothan where, um, they sold him t- into slavery. So you could ask, well, where were the chariots of fire and the angels and the, you know, horses and everything then? So it didn't it look like there was much protection there? But again, you see, big picture. God knew what was going to happen with Joseph. He knew that Joseph was one day going to be a ruler under Pharaoh of Egypt, that he was going to save his people from the famine, even his brothers. God could see the big picture. And actually, by the time he got to that place, Joseph's eyes were open too, because he, he could say to his brothers, you meant it for evil when you chucked me in that pit in Dothan and sold me into slavery. But God, God meant it for good. God will protect us and he's able to protect us whether or not you can see horses and chariots, God is protecting you. And God will provide for us. We saw that with Hagar, but the Bible also tells us that he supplies all of our needs, according to riches in glory, that he actually only gives us good things because he's a good father and that we don't need to be anxious because that provision is promised. And then the last reason, and I said there are many, but the last reason I just wanted to mention tonight as why we know that God is all sufficient is That he loves you. He loves you. He is love and he loves you. And honestly, I mean, this is the God who created everything. This is the God of the universe. This is the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. You know, and he loves me. And he loves you. Really? You know, what else would we need? God is all sufficient to us. And the other thing is that not only does he love us, but he wants to speak to us and he wants to listen to us. There's, um, I found something by Eugene Peterson. I don't know how many people know him as a Christian author, but, um, he, he said this. He said, We live in a noisy world. We are yelled at, called, promoted. Everyone has an urgent message for us. We are surrounded with noise. Telephone, radio, Television, stereo, messages are amplified definitely, definitely, I can't say it, definitely, you know what I'm trying to say. The world is a mob in which everyone is talking at once and no one is willing or able to listen. But God listens. He not only speaks to us, he listens to us. His listening to us is an even greater marvel than his speaking to us. It's rare to find anyone who listens carefully and thoroughly. It's rare to find our stammering understood, our clumsy speech deciphered, our garbled syntax unraveled, sorted out and heard every syllable attended to, every nuance comprehended. Our minds taken seriously, our feelings taken seriously. When it happens, we know that what we say and feel are immensely important. We acquire dignity. We never know how well we think or speak until we find someone who listens to us. God listens to you perfectly. He is absolutely interested. He thinks you're great. He wants to hear what you have to say. And that sort of brings us back to the point that, you know, It's not about us having to sit there waiting for God. It's God sitting there waiting for us to connect with him, to speak with him so that he can listen and he can speak with us. And my challenge to you is this. God will sometimes open the eyes of our heart because he knows we need them opened and he loves us. Sometimes he opens the eyes of our heart because someone else prays for us and says, God, would you show them what they need to see and what they need to know? But often he opens the eyes of our heart when we ask, when we seek him, when we choose to focus on him rather than on the external realities. So how hungry are you for God? How much do you long for God? Psalm 116.2 says, because he inclined his ear to me, I will call on him as long as I live. It's a bit funny, because he inclined my ear to him, I'll call on him for as long as I live. Wow. Well, that word inclined, it can be translated as bent down in the sense you know, of a mother bending down to her child, or a father bending down and looking um, his child in the eye and really listening. And if that amazing creator God will do that, will come right down to our level, look us in the eye and listen to what we have to say, then we can understand why the psalmist says, I will call on him as long as I live because he's the one person that's always going to listen when I come to him. God is directing his gaze towards us. He's inclining his ear. He's not preoccupied. He's never fo- um, unfocused or doesn't have the time. And he's never going to be distracted, unlike us. Because often we're the ones that get distracted, preoccupied, and busy. So, you know, how hungry are we for God, really? And there's no guilt here, because the Bible tells us there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And God doesn't do guilt but actually, if we really want to live with the eyes of faith and our hearts wide open, then we need that hunger for God because it's only when we're really hungry that we'll make the time to really seek him. You know, very few of us have known what it is to be starving. Um, there are people in the world that know that. Um, there are people in this country that know that. But I am getting that most of us here haven't known what it is to be starving. If I want something to eat, truthfully, I can open the cupboard or the fridge and I can find something there. Psalm 135 to 6 says, I wait for the Lord, my whole being waits, and in his word I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning, more than watchmen wait for the morning. And that doesn't particularly resonate with us because, you know, we don't think too much about watchmen on the walls waiting for the dawn. But, but actually, I was, I was thinking, well, you know, how do I kind of see that today? Well, I used to be a nurse years ago, and I wasn't awfully keen on night duty. I used to get very tired. And the worst possible time is somewhere around four o'clock in the morning, when you're just anybody else is in the house can probably <laughs> attest to that. When you're just trying to keep your eyes open, especially if it's not I mean if it's really busy, you're, you're probably working and getting through it. But if it's a bit quiet, trying to stay awake at 4 a.m. is not very easy. And actually at that point you're just longing for the day staff to come on around seven or whatever it is, so that you can go home. So in that sense, you know, I am longing for the dawn, I'm waiting for the morning. And um the other time I, I kind of thought about that was, you know, the night before my wedding. I remember not being able to sleep just from sort of sheer excitement from that and i couldn't wait for the next day to come and so perhaps that's about as close as i can get to that sort of longing for the dawn that the watchman would have had but i'm sure that actually there'll be similar experiences you've had where you know it's like you can't wait for the next day you're longing for the morning and and it's how often do we long in that way for god really long For him, How often are we sitting at our desk doing our work thinking, oh, I can't wait to get home so I can just go spend some time with God? We need to, because that longing will send us to find him. We live very busy lives and there are many, many distractions. You know, cares and anxieties can be distractions. Jobs can be distractions, responsibilities, whatever it is, our desires. But also all the Christian things we do, they can be distractions as well. If we give out without first being filled, we have a problem. I can't remember. I think it might have been Bernard of Clairvaux, is it? Anyway, somebody a very long time ago, a monk, said that you can be canals or reservoirs, I think he said. And the idea is that a canal, you know, as the water goes in, it just goes straight out. But a reservoir kind of gets full, and then it's out of that fullness the water can be distributed where it needs to go. And it will never, never run dry because it's this kind of full reservoir that gets filled and then it goes out and gets filled and goes out. And actually, you know, that's what we need. We need to make sure that in all our business, and all the things that we do, all the good Christian things that we do, we're not acting like canals where it's just, it's in, it's out, it's in, out, it's out. We need to allow Father God to fill us completely. If we don't, we risk burnout or we're at risk that the good things that we do become more about ambition, pride, or what other people think of us, what we look like. And I have to say there's not much joy and there's very little faith in that. So the the practice of abiding in God's presence and resting in his love, as I said at the beginning, can't be separated from arising and shining or having um, open eyes of faith. But it can be hard to do that, to, to rest in his presence, to abide with him, unless we practice it. Unless we're prepared to make time to practice it and to be with him. And it's those resting times in him, those regular resting times in him, speaking to him and listening to him that allow him to fill us and open our eyes to see with faith faith and to see with kind of hearts and to love. What I'm going to do is we're going to do something. I want to finish with us just having a little bit of a conversation with God. Um, Because... I want his strength in my life, not mine. I want the encounter that I have with him to inform me, not just kind of what I think about God. Does that make sense? Because when people met with God, like John in Revelation, you know, Daniel or um, Isaiah himself in the temple, when they encounter God, they all say they fall on the floor, all their strength goes, and it's like, oh. And then what happens is God touches them. And when they rise again, they rise with a different strength. It's with God's strength, not with their strength. And, and that's what I, that's what I want. I want to have a kind of a healthy inside that I live from, where my strength comes from God, and when I know what He's put inside me. So if you're happy to do this, um, what I'd like you to do, this is an exercise that I've been doing recently that I find helpful. So we'll see whether you do. I don't want you to be thinking you're going to be getting any kind of word for anyone else. You're just going to hear God speaking to you. Okay, this is about you hearing God, you speaking with God. So close your eyes for a minute. And as you do that, just stretch out your hands in front of you with your palms facing upwards. Okay. Yeah. Thank you, Father. Just turn your thoughts to him right now and invite him to come and speak with you. Tell him some of the things that you have been carrying. Might be some of your concerns. Might be some of your fears. And if you're not sure what you've been carrying, but you kind of have a feeling that not everything you've been carrying is helpful right now, then ask him to show you what it is that you are carrying. And then tell him, when he shows you or when you know what they are, tell him that you're sorry for holding on to them. Yeah. And then when you feel ready to give them to him, I want you to say that. I want you to say, Father God, I'm giving this to you. And as you do that, I want you to turn your palms back upside down as a symbol of those things going, all right? That you're dropping them. Tell him that you're letting them go. And you're not going to take them back again. And then you can turn your palms back up again when you've done that. And if he shows you there's something else you need to let go of, then just do the same thing again. Just turn your palms upside down. Let it go. You might have to let it go in faith. It might not feel very easy. I had one thing I was struggling with. I actually shook my hands because I needed to almost feel that I was shaking this thing off. And then you can turn your palms up again. And then when you feel like you've done that, then just ask him what he wants to give you. What he wants to say to you. Ask him what he wants you to see that you haven't been able to see up until now. Father, what is it that you want us to see? Each one of us individually. Would you come now? Would you just show people what it is that you have for them, what you want them to know right now? To just bring your encouragement. Father God, would you speak to your children right now? Yeah, Father, I just want to thank you that you are always with us. We don't have to wait for you. You are always right there. Father, thank you that your heart is to hear us, to listen to us, to incline your ear to us. Father, That you come down to our level. King of kings, Lord of lords, mighty God of the universe. You come down to us and you listen. Father, you are always ready to speak. Father, you are always ready with your wisdom and your protection and your provision, everything that we need. Father God, we ask you again that you would open the eyes of our hearts today, that you would give us eyes of faith, and that as we go into this next month, this new lockdown, Father, that you will remind us that you are constant, you are constantly present You are all sufficient. You are all that we need. And whether we are together or whether we are are apart, we are part of your family. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. And Father, you see the end of all things. You know the end of this story. Father, you are working all things together for good right now. And we can trust you and your plans and your purposes. Yeah. And so, Father, would you help us to be that fragrance of Christ over the next month? Father, I believe for many testimonies when we come back together of what you have been doing, Father God, of ways in which you have been reaching out to a hurting world through your people, through your children, for ways in which you have been bringing release to the prisoners, that you have been releasing people from the darkness that they've been in. Father, you have been binding up the brokenhearted through your people. Father God, would you give us eyes to see what we do not yet see, so that we can walk in faith and take the opportunities that you bring our way. Yeah, thank you, Father God. And all the people said, Amen. (laughs) Thank you, guys.